director of Platoon, Wall Street. The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18, buy it all. Something big is going down. I want to know where he goes and what he sees. I want you, pal, to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Where you can trade your honor. I can lose my license. That's inside information. For power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I know what this guy's all about. Greed. There is no nobility in poverty anymore, Dad. Greed is good. Greed works. What makes you tick, bud? The fear of being poor. That's all gonna change. Cause I'm catching the express. All right, Mr. Gecko, you got me. Trade your peace of mind. What's in it for moi? More money than you ever dreamed of. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action. The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth, $5 trillion. All it takes is a little inside information. I don't care where or how you get it. I think you owe me. And you can trade everything you believe in. He's using you, kid. You're too blind to see it. For everything you've ever wanted. Uh, I get a strange call from the SEC. They asked to see my records. This is heavy, bud. I don't know where you get your information, son, but I don't like it. Michael Douglas. Why do you need to wreck this company? Because it's wreckable, all right? Charlie Sheen. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? Daryl Hannah. You may find out one day that when you've had money and lost it, it's much worse than never having had it at all. Martin Sheen. What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he had. What you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wallet. An Oliver Stone film, Wall Street. into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Yeah, yeah, rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> and here we are once again, everyone. A new month, a new theme here in the spoiler room. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair and popping your favorite drink i've got not your father's root beer so nice. yeah it's it's very tasty they actually brought back the old label they had kind of a boring label for a while uh but they've brought back their original label and i was quite happy with it a, a dapper man on the label you know um uh, and speaking of dapper men we were talking about dapper men today uh as we're Taking a different theme, something you might not expect. The month is called Stocking Up. And what that means is, prepare yourself. It's more interesting than you may think. We're talking four films involving Wall Street and the stock market, which, trust me, folks, I, th I think I've picked 
four films that should be interesting discussions, including the one that we're talking about tonight, Wall Street from 1987, Oliver Stone, a slew of stars. And speaking of stars, I've got one with me here today. He's my co-host, right-hand man, keeps coming back for more. None other than Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I, I came dressed for the occasion. I'm wearing a robe because it's cold in my basement, but I'm wearing a green shirt because green is the color of money. It is color of money, and money spawns greed, and greed is good, according to Mr. Gecko of Wall Street. And money never sleeps. And money never sleeps. That's exactly right. So uh, since you're familiar with the movie, Ian, why not give the synopsis of Wall Street? Well, Wall Street is about a young, uh, ambitious uh, stock trader named uh, Bud Fox, played by Charlie Sheen, yep. and he um, he works in this little office where he like does these little kind of like nipping at the heels deals. You know, makes a comfortable living. He's on his way up, but he really has ambitions to get into bed with the big boys to like make the the insane amounts of cash. Uh, he's particularly obsessed with this mover and shaker named Gordon Gecko, played by uh, Michael Douglas. And um, he kind of works his way into Michael Douglas's or Gordon Gecko's organization. And uh, it's it, watching the movie this time, I realize it's essentially the devil's advocate minus <laughs> the supernatural. It, it really is. It really is in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he basically, it's the classic story. He works his way up. He's seduced by the the power and the money and the women and the, the amenities. But um, he gets a little, he flies a little too close to the sun. Um, he has some problems with his uh, his father, played by uh, by Martin Sheen, who is uh, like a mechanic and a union rep on an airline that um, Bud uses as leverage to basically buy his way into Gecko's favor. Um, and that causes a lot of problems when the airline is, uh, Bud essentially uses insider information about a lawsuit that once it's settled is going to allow the airline to be, go from like a small regional airline to be competing with the big boys. So that opens up, um, you know, opportunities to like, Hey, this is the, the big emerging stock and everyone's going to get rich and people do get rich and then people get really poor really fast. And there's, you know, backstabbing, stabbing and boardroom intrigue and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, co-written by Oliver Stone. Um, I, this is the second time I've watched this movie in the last like 10 years, probably. Mm. Um, I love it a lot more now than I did because I think I understand it a bit more. It is kind of hard to follow if you're not in the game. Uh, I'm certainly not a player, but um, yeah, I was just paying attention more. So yeah, it's a, it's a crazy movie. It's really good. Well, it, I mean, and this is why I'm, I'm very interested with this month and looking at these films, because I've seen, this was the, uh, this was the film that I, I had seen once after a while, though. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it later on when it was on direct video because it was one that kept coming up in circles and that. And I like Oliver Stone and the, the cast. And this is just insane. Who's all in this, even in the minor parts. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. so I finally watched it and I enjoyed it. Okay. But I'm with you. I think I enjoy it a lot more now, but this was one of the many, and we talked about one in our 52 degrees of Kevin Bacon, Quicksilver, one of the many weirdly obsessed. There was this eighties obsession with the stock market. I, I'm not sure why I haven't looked up historical stuff, but, but the eighties seemed to be obsessed with it because 
there were a lot of movies like this involving the stock market. And in all honesty, watching this, I still don't quite understand. <laughs> but well, I understand concepts. I don't understand how it all fully works. But mm-hmm. you don't have to because that's not really essential to it. You just, the performances here are what helps sell it. Yeah. And I mean, and there was something about, I'm not exactly sure when the switch flipped, but mm-hmm. I mean, stock um, and Wall Street, the obsession was all over 80s pop culture. I mean, even you look at Family Ties, you know, the show <laughs> uh-huh. that, that that made Michael, uh, Michael Keaton, I was going to say Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Um, he played uh, a young, you know, a teenage Republican who was obsessed with making money and, and investing and things like that. Um, it was around this time maybe a couple of years earlier that, or no, it was a couple of years later that Brett Easton Ellis wrote American Psycho, uh, the right, novel yeah. about uh, Patrick Bateman, who was a, an investment kind of Wall Street guy. And he was writing, I think, working on the book right around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, I think a lot of it, and Gordon Gecko kind of gets to the heart of this in the the movie when he's talking about, it's, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can get in and you can make a ton of money and it's not really even work because what they're doing is fabricating money out of thin air. It's, it's a giant confidence game on a global scale with these markets. Um, and it's really easy to make a lot of money and to lose a lot of money. <laughs> well, uh, and, and a lot of the mistakes were uh, uh, you make a lot of money and then you kept the money there. Some of the people who made money would make a, a, a lot of money initially, then pull that money out put it in something that might not be as lucrative, but safer. And then they lived off like interest in that of that. And they didn't play the market anymore, but it was those who would uh, rely on that money from their stocks in order to do their living that ended up causing people to get in a lot of trouble. And I think it part of it was the yuppie culture because in the eighties you had yuppie. That was the big, Oh, you know, the boomers that we call now were yuppies. <laughs> Some of them, yeah, yeah, the young, of the young urban professional. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. They're they're easy to make fun of, but I mean, I don't. Know, there there is something. It's it's easy to see how this kind of lifestyle would be alluring. But what I also loved about what Stone did is he made it look just as ridiculous in its mm-hmm. allure. The something I don't think I picked up on the first time I watched it. There's a scene where okay, so Bud, when he gets really you know rich. He moves into this like almost a million dollar apartment and he has his new girlfriend played by Daryl Hannah. Her name's Darian. She's an interior decorator who has terrible taste in art and (laughs) and decor, but she decorates his apartment. He has a cocktail party that Gordon Gecko comes to. There's a great scene where he's got a little plate of hors d'oeuvres and he goes to set it down the coffee table and it falls on the floor because it's a coffee, it's a glass coffee table. And the gimmick is it doesn't have glass. It doesn't have so you glass. can't actually yeah. put anything on it. I'm like, that is, that's perfect. That is everything you need to know about wall street. Yeah. I mean, the whole theme of excessiveness, and we're going to run into this with the rest of the movies that we talk about in various forms this month was just, you know, at its peak in the eighties. And so 87, uh, yeah, and Oliver Stone had something personal because his dad, I think, was a stockbroker 
for a number of years. So he's speaking from experience and you almost feel like he's pulling from people that he either knew or his dad knew <laughs> because mm -hmm. these people as outrageous as they might seem feel real. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, Gecko. And, and this is what I like about wall street is it's very easy for the, it would have been very easy for this film to really take what some films of this genre would do is go to the extreme. Like suddenly Gecko is like out to destroy, you know, Fox as the things progress and Fox gets young. And then Fox kind of starts turning the tables as he starts growing a conscience. And then, you know, like Gecko turns like into this really like mustache twirling type of villain, but he doesn't here. I mean, it, there's still tension. There's still, you you get the arc of you know Fox learning. Oh yeah, this does have consequences because one of the things that Fox tries to do throughout when he sells things is no one gets hurt. This is a safe investment. No one gets hurt until Gecko pulls the rug out from under him, and people are going to get hurt because Gecko is just going to dissolve the company because he can make a serious bank off of selling the real estate. Right. And, you know, he does turn into that mustache twirling villain, but we never see it. Mm -hmm. That all happens mm -hmm. off screen. Right. Because right. there is a great, you know, and we're jumping ahead here, and this is the spoiler room, but at the end, Bud Fox decides to screw Gordon Gecko on this airline deal because he found out that the airline that, that his father works for, as I mentioned, was going to become a major player. So Gordon bought the entire thing and basically installed Bud on the, the board of the airline. And he thought, yeah, this is, we're going to get in here. We're going to make a ton of money. But then Gecko says essentially, well, he looked at, he, he looked at some of the reports and he decided, you know what? I just want to liquidate the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it was such a casual thing that Bud was like heartbroken because of his dad and all of his friends. He grew up around all these union mechanic guys, realizing that the entire airline and all the buildings were going to be, made into condos like the yeah. hangers yeah. and the parts are going to be sold in Mexico um, for scrap essentially. So Bud devises this plan to screw Gecko out of his investment and allow a rival that Gecko had screwed to take over the company and appoint Bud Fox, you know, mm -hmm. as it put him in charge still. Um, so there's that phone call that Bud gives to Gordon and he basically says, ha ha, I got you. And then the next scene, the next day, Bud walks into his office at the little small firm. And he's like, hey, how you doing, Alice, or whatever her name is? And everyone's like looking at him like they're all ashen-faced. They're like, oh, buddy. And he goes in, and the SEC is there, along with the New York police, ready yes. to arrest him. And you realize that off-screen, Gecko, and what very well could have been one, two, three scenes in any other movie, Gecko just made a series of phone calls, probably told someone, Here's where you find the evidence. Go get this kid. Now, there was a bit of a double cross, but at the end, and this doesn't really come out until the sequel, Money Never Sleeps, that Gecko had gotten arrested mm -hmm. um, and, and did some time. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very smart film. Um, I love that Gordon Gecko is a very human character. Yeah. Um, he's not the top dog. In fact, Terrence Stamp's character is... I think I can't remember what he said. He's like, I'm 60 times richer than you yeah, are. Yeah. And you look at, yeah. and you look at Gecko, he said something like, you know, I made, 
you know, eight hundred thousand dollars a day or a month yeah. or something like that. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's what that is. What's interesting is that you get the impression first because it's all being told from uh, Fox's perspective uh, that Gecko is the top dog until you meet Terrence Stamp's character, and you just realize Gecko is actually kind of middle upper tier. Like in his circles, he's big, but in like the grand scheme of things, he's not really top dog. But he also is quite happy where he's at, too, because he can play both kind of safely. I think that's why Gecko, the impression you get from Gecko is while he likes money and he's greed, he founds his like niche, his alley, to where occasionally he can poke Terrence Stamp's character. But he could still be seen as a big dog by a lot of the lower stock traders. So even though he's kind of upper middle tier, he's quite comfortable where he's at outside of always wanting more money. Right. And it's weird that you just accurately describe his position as sort of upper middle tier because he still makes several hundred million dollars a year in 80s money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the the key difference is that Terrence Stamp's character, uh, Larry, I can't remember his last name, but yeah. um, he is politically connected. He was recently knighted by the Queen of England. He's a mover and shaker in like global finance and politics. Um, and he's as like, as we mentioned, he's you know much richer than Gecko. And I like that stone plays these and also the uh, the co-writer stanley weiser mm-hmm. uh play with these kinds of shades of characters because you see gordon gecko sort of presented as this villain and then we meet the guy that he had screwed out of uh you know a big deal so like oh well maybe this is the sympathetic character we're supposed to you know get on his side because he's sort of against gordon gecko but then there's that great exchange at the the house party where he's like uh you know, don't, you know, I, I remember what you did with the companies that you took over. How many people did you lay off when you liquidated these companies? 6,000 people here, 4,000 people here. So don't get all high and mighty about this one company <laughs> that I'm thinking about doing this to. You've got blood on your hands, too. Yeah, yeah. It's it. There's a lot of fun dialogue and you can pull it off and keep it interesting, even though it's mostly like talking in that um because of the director that you have behind it and this cast and now we mentioned we've mentioned a Terrence Stamp you know your major players you've got you know uh, Charlie Sheen you've got you know uh, uh uh Michael Douglas we mentioned you know he, I think this was a big deal too at the time because this was the first film Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen were in a movie together I think this was the first one that at least that was wide release that they were both in a movie together because that was a big deal. And Martin Sheen is playing Charlie Sheen's dad. And so that actually helps though, because the dynamic between the father and son, if you watch enough movies, you can see when performers are having fun. And these two are enjoying the hell out of acting with each other because their banter feels so just a little bit more genuine because I, I see what you're saying, but I also, and maybe this is just me kind of cringing at some, I I think Charlie Sheen is a good actor, sure, but he's not as, he's not his dad. He's not even his brother, Emilio Estevez. I think Emilio's um, better. I'll say Emilio's better. Well, I think, I think 
the the thing is like charlie sheen proved himself to be a very fine actor comedically mm, you know mm -hmm. the hot shots movies yeah two and a half men regardless mm -hmm. what do you think of that show he's very good in it i mean it had to be it ran for like 11 yeah. or 13 seasons or something um so I, but i when i see him do drama especially when he's like yelling at his dad mm -hmm. i'm like i've seen martin sheen do that yell and that indignant <laughs> outrage in yeah. movies before and this ain't it yeah he's like the son is trying to be like i'm gonna be just like yeah. you dad yeah. um there's that scene in the elevator after uh martin sheen oh, embarrasses yeah. Bud fox yeah. and the camera's like switching between them mm -hmm. and i'm like watching martin sheen's like understated heartbreak and disappointment <laughs> and then they cut over to charlie sheen just like dad how could you it's almost like keanu reeves a little it's bit like, yeah how, how could you embarrass me in front of those people and he's like martin sheen's just like dying inside like you yeah. called me a failure and I, I never took my shot and like you never took your shot dad I'm like yeah. oh god <laughs> no i mean charlie sheen's acting as a bit but this is still young charlie sheen, and he got picked quite a bit some of his roles because he was very good looking gentleman. And at the, I mean, you know, part of the role was because of his looks. He had the suave young stockbroker look. That's why he got chosen here. Apparently they were going to choose Cruz, but it's an Oliver Stone film and he liked Sheen from Platoon. So mm -hmm. um, we get this uh, and, and there's some people say, well, it would have been better with Cruz. And I'm like, Let's not forget Cruz was a bit young yet too at this time. You know, you know what I'm saying? I he probably would have did better than Charlie, but there's not a guarantee that he would have necessarily been that much better. I don't know. I think the problem with Tom Cruise, I mean, it's excited. Yeah, I'd seen something about that too. Um this is the year after Top Gun. Yeah. I don't see how you go from Maverick down to oh i'm just kind of like a an upcoming like wannabe stockbroker i'm kind of a come of kind of a nerd you know I'll, I'll sit up all night reading charts on the computer but i also want to be a mover and shaker i i don't think yeah maybe if this has been a few years earlier or certainly any time before top gun um maybe that would work in terms of the caliber of acting yeah i think i think Cruz could have pulled it off but it's weird because i think charlie sheen for his flawed as his performance is it still kind of works because you don't look at him and think automatically oh he's the really suave good-looking guy that's going to rise to the top he's he looks like a wannabe when you first see him and all throughout the movie he constantly looks like mm -hmm. he's trying to prove himself and fit in whereas when you look at tom cruise you know, even fit in. <laughs> yeah, even at the beginning of Risky Business, when he's still like this awkward high schooler, you're like, oh, yeah, he's he's got it. He high, just doesn't quite know it yet. Yeah. High schooler. High schooler. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I just I chuckle at that with with Risky Business. It's just like he's a high schooler. And we're like, he's short, but <laughs> I'm not buying that he's a high schooler. Oh, uh, apparently, according to some trivia from Ibidem, they had their choice of either Jack Lemon or Martin Sheen to play uh, opposite Fox for his dad. And they went with his dad. <laughs> I, uh, Jack Lemon, you said? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe I, I believe Martin Sheen bent over that uh, airplane, you know, 
yeah. w- work with the wrench more than I would Jack Lemon. Love Jack Lemon, but yeah, Martin yeah. Sheen. I I I didn't think I was watching Martin. I, I thought I was watching Martin Sheen doing like in a docudrama about what he does when he's not <laughs> appearing in movies. Yeah. So, like I believe that guy works on planes and runs a union. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, so no, I mean. This. He is so good, and he's so good at this as the blue collar worker. You know, he's supposed to be the the counterpoint to his son, who's trying to be the ex- young executive, the up and comer type of guy. You know, um, but Martin Sheen, yeah, he's so good in this role. Even though you don't get a lot of screen time, he's just yeah, you you just love every scene he's in. But where I was going with that is just that the chemistry between them, because they are father and son, I think they could you know let loose a little more. It, it, it the at least the emotion between them and that, you know, that the connection or whatnot was there obviously for natural. And I, I think it works for this, but yeah, Martin Sheen's definitely the, the better though. Charlie was a bit young in this, um, you know, and then Michael Douglas, you know, for as much as we like him playing good guys, he plays bad guys really well. <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. Like, okay, I, I mentioned Devil's Advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Al Pacino literally playing Satan. I don't... I, Gordon Gecko is a bad guy, mm-hmm. but you can almost see, like, this... You can see how he was perhaps warped by this business, this the life greed. that he kind of... Yeah. yeah, they got sucked in and transformed from something else. I think at one point he said he saw himself in Bud Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, because when I watch him and I listen to him, it's really hard for me to disagree with what he's talking about. <laughs> right. You know, even <laughs> even when he's talking about like liquidating companies and laying off people and stuff, it makes financial sense for the types of, you know, the type of business that he's in, even though it's it's got horrible real world consequences for those families. But it's like, you know, there is like that naivete on Bud's part, like, what did you think this was like? No one's going to get hurt when you're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. (laughs) Well, and well, and, and that's the thing as unscrupulous as he was and as unscrupulous as Fox was because he wanted to get in good with Gecko at the same time, they did include people in, on their investments and made money for them because Fox did that when he got in good with Gecko and had the uh, in the in on a couple of investments as part of the cover up to remove suspicion. Gecko told Fox, tell your buddies about this because that way the trade commission or the stock watch company, as it was at the time, wouldn't be suspicious that, you know, Gecko was doing something under the table or or something, you know, insider trading because everybody would be doing the same thing. So it would cover, which, you know, on one hand, okay, that's that's wicked. But on the other hand, those people are benefiting. <laughs> so it was... Right. And, you know, James Spader shows up in this movie in one of the rare roles where he doesn't play a scumbag. Yeah. He plays a really good nice guy like he's an old lawyer friend for of buds from college and he's one of the guys that uh bud first tries to get information from yeah um, and then and then brings him into this web of like hey i'm gonna give you some tips just you know keep it quiet and i love like their last scene together bud comes to visit you know roger is his character's name at the office like look 
Roger says, no more lunches, no more phone calls. I, we just got to stop, put the, shut this down. Yeah. You know, it's been great, but I, I'm getting really cold feet about this. And I love that, that indication that the walls are closing in. Like everything yes. kind of slowly mm -hmm. falls apart. You can watch all the puzzle pieces moving. So good. Well, that's the thing is he plays this so well. You can see why Michael Douglas got Academy Award nomination. In fact, I think this was his only award nomination that he got. Um, uh, and he's so good in it because he gives you this layered character without he could easily go completely overboard. And I guess that's where I was saying that he's not necessarily mustache twirling because you're right. He. He places as just a very, uh, a guy who has no morals, but a straight businessman. Everything with him is just business. Like he says, he doesn't really get attached to people. It's just business. Even when he's talking to Darian, Daryl Hannah's character, uh, who is kind of falling for a bud. And, you know, he even kind of handles their relationship kind of like a business transaction more so than any type of emotional connection. Um, well, and it's and the the screenplay is smart enough to keep it about the business and the Wall Street stuff, because there is a line where uh, Gecko and Darian are walking down the street after this art auction. And he's like, you know, I never i can't remember which who said to who but they're like never bud can never know about us like oh, that we were yeah, ever darian said that yeah yeah right and so i was expecting at some point later like mm -hmm. gecko is gonna throw that out like oh i've i've slept with your girlfriend and it's gonna be like this weird love triangle thing or something but no it's strictly about you know business not the personal right yeah it was really interesting that they took that approach with it um because you could tell there's something between him and uh, Darian, but not quite sure what. But when you see her start uh, getting all friendly and 80s silhouette sex scene. Uh... <laughs> oh, God. Charlie Sheen even overacts the thrusting. Like, oh, my God. He is like Patrick Bateman in that scene in American Psycho. Where he's got the, the two hookers and he's like, like modeling himself in the mirror practically. Oh, like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's yeah. They they keep the romance even to the minimum. Oliver Stone really crafts this movie in such a way to where the focus continually stays on the business aspect and their business practices or, you know, the, 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 nefer the, the undermining, the, the illegal stuff they're doing. He keeps it really focused on that. You add these other elements, but like you said, never really fully explored. We do have one blowout between Bud and uh, Darian, but that's when Bud uh, is losing it because he's realizing he's being taken for a ride by Gecko with the air with the air part and she's just like looking at it as business too that's the thing is darian there's not much difference between her and gecko in a lot of ways as far as their approach to relationships right but I mean, even like because sean young is in the movie playing gecko's wife it's a marriage that doesn't mean anything because right. you know gecko's sleeping around with darian and also there's a scene on a private jet where there's the the woman who casually oh she just walked by, by with the look she, yeah 
Right. And then she walks back into the private room. And then after the conversation, you just see Gecko. Like I had to rewind it because it was so subtle. It, it wasn't was. even like, yeah. hey, I'm going to go screw that woman. It's just like, I'm just going to go in that back room here. Oh, that's right. A lady walked in there alone a minute ago. Mm -hmm. um, but you could very easily see Darian becoming Mrs. Bud Fox and having that sort of transactional, you know, a marriage of business right. and convenience. But the problem is because gecko had built her career mm -hmm. probably with some strings attached but you know given her all her connections and her clients and all that stuff she had made it on her you know she made a business out of it using those contacts so she wasn't completely reliant on him but she also knew where her bread was buttered so when bud is like i'm gonna you know screw gordon gecko and she's like no don't cross him if you cross him i'm out of here yeah it's you know it's almost like her fear slash loyalty to gordon gecko was all consuming mm -hmm. like she would love bud up to a certain point until he decided to to do that and right. she couldn't be a part of it not even necessarily from a moral thing but just because no. like no you know what that guy can do to you <laughs> yeah she was very real she was very realistic in in what her relationship was with everybody pretty much you know and where she stood and how things actually how the real world work she wasn't really in any you know any fantasy of oh i'm gonna run away with you we'll leave all this behind we'll just live on the money that we have or whatnot in fact bud is the one that's it brings that up and she's like yo are you crazy i've got a really good thing going on in new york you know yeah like at one point um when they're on i think they're on the beach or something like yeah. that uh, Darian says, if I could have anything, this would almost do. Uh, and yeah. they're she's like talking about the world. I'm like, wow. Uh, <laughs> there's so many great lines in this movie. Like the, there's like, if you want uh, a snapshot of the problems with like, you know, capitalism out mm -hmm. of control, watch wall street. There's so many good, like bumper <laughs> sticker lines in this movie. It's great. There, there's great bumper sticker lines. And what's funny is watching it. I'm like, some of the discussions they have, especially when they get into the union folks and they start talking about class and that I'm like, shit, that still can apply to today. I mean, this film, this film, until you get into the technology part, if you ignore those parts, this film could easily still play today. It, it'd be, you know, almost as meaningful with the, with the way it's done uh, because the, the themes and such that come up in here are still topical today. Oh yeah. And the, you know, the famous line of greed is good comes from uh, an amazing scene where Gecko goes to the, um, the stock of um, or the shareholders meeting of a company called Teldar paper. Mm -hmm. um, and He's looking to, I can't remember the specifics because there's a few big companies in this movie, but essentially the the Teldar, the head of their board, is railing against Gordon Gecko because he thinks that he's going to try and, you know, basically take control of the company and liquidate it mm -hmm. and screw everybody over. And then Gordon gets his chance to speak and he basically says, look, if you want to look at who's screwing you over, you know, your company made XX dollars this, you know, past yeah. year. And most of that went to the 22 people sitting behind me. It didn't go to you guys. Like these, these are fat cats making multiple tens of millions of dollars a year. And I don't know why you're looking at me like I'm the villain. So he's like, and, and you could see the people kind of like starting to nod their heads in the, in the, mm -hmm. in the, in the audience. They're not quite sure. Like, wait, I thought you were supposed to be the bad guy. Um, and he is a slime ball, 
but he's also can wear that suit of populism to get what he wants because he knows all the angles of all the arguments. Right. Yeah. I mean, because he points out all the flaws with that board. He's like, you have 23 VPs. He's like, and they all get a salary of two hundred thousand dollars last year. He's like, how much of that did go to you guy? <laughs> I mean, you're right. He he he's a very smart businessman. This isn't like one of those to where this character is crazy, where you could see they could easily play the angle. You know, that he's got some kind of vice. He doesn't really have a major vo- vice. He's actually got a little kid who he seems to actually adore, a, a young boy, his son. Um, Sean Young doesn't show up much in here, but there's reasons for that behind the scenes uh, for it. Was there drama? Well, <laughs> there is drama. Well, um, apparently she f- tried to fight hard to play Darian. She kept telling Oliver oh. Storm that she needed to play Darian, but she would show up late to set and apparently not have her lines really. Lo- so that's why her role is minuscule in this is because she was already having some behind the scenes issues and drama. And I'm not going to say Daryl Hannah was probably uh, the best choice for this role either, but she's definitely better than Sean Young was. Because Sean Young in this, she's barely in this film. Well, it's but yeah, I remember because it was a few years after this that Sean Young famously like dressed up in the Catwoman suit and tried to like lobby Tim Burton to play the Michelle Pfeiffer role in yeah. Batman Returns, like dodged a bullet there. Man, that's <laughs> uh, I just I can't stand it when those behind the scenes stories are fascinating. But again, you're like just stop. <laughs> and and yeah, he. I guess Oliver Stone later admitted that he probably miscast Daryl Hannah, but he was too proud to say he made a mistake, <laughs> but he didn't want Sean Young either. I mean, Daryl is okay. The pr- I think the tough part for me with Daryl Hannah's Darian character is just Daryl Hannah does so well at playing a very, um, a very nice, very charismatic, very, connecting character to see her try to play a little bit colder character was a little bit tough because I keep seeing her in most of the roles she was in, which is more of the, the, you know, the warmer roles than what this one kind of called for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird because I kind of like with, I think she was perfectly matched with Charlie Sheen because there was something off about both their performances. (laughs) Yeah. But, I think about her role in Kill Bill, um, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years later or whatever it would have been. Right. I think if you had had that caliber of acting infused into the Darian role, which is, you know, that role was a little bit because she was an assassin. She was a killer, but she still had that kind of like down to business, cut the shit aloofness and that, you know, kind of sexy allure. Um, that it just, yeah, I think she had to grow into that. This is probably just another case of an early performance. It is. I mean, well, I mean, it's just like you mentioned with Charlie Sheen. I think if these two, if these two performers are cast in these same roles, but like 10 years later, mm-hmm. they're getting nominated as well. And that they, they would have done far better than they, they were a little, I think, too young because this is a big movie if you look at it you've got a big director i remember there was promotions for this film a lot you've got the the cast for sure 
you know. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't take this wrong, please, folks. I, I like Daryl Hannah's performance and a lot of stuff. It's just for what this character called for at the point of where she was at. I think it was maybe just a little bit out of where we were at least used to seeing her and maybe a little bit out of the range of her. I mean, Charlie Sheen was barely holding on to this. I mean, <laughs> you watch enough stock market. Kevin Bacon's Quicksilver character <laughs> was probably a little better fit than, you know, Charlie Sheen in this because, um, because yeah, it, it was a little bit of a tough sell. I still bought into it, but it was a bit of a tough sell, but I think that's the director. They had Oliver Stone who knew how to direct so he could direct them. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Oliver Stone kind of gets a, a weird rap because of, like, conspiracy theory stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of that came out of JFK. But, um, yeah, I mean, this movie, uh, you know, Platoon, which you mentioned earlier, which is also kind of based on his personal experiences of, uh, of, you know, Vietnam. He's a hell of a director and a hell of a, a writer. And he knows how to get the most out of, you know, the film making down to, like, editing decisions. Um to getting the most, I think the best performances that he could out of the people that he right. that he had cast. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is it's such a. I don't know. I my wife asked me. She's like, because I rented this from Amazon. She's like, sure. don't you own Wall Street? I'm like, no. And after watching <laughs> it, I'm like, why don't I, I, I own? Need, it? I, yeah. I need to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done now. That. I I only saw the sequel, Money Never Sleeps, once, and I remember hating it, but I can't remember why. I have Shia to LaBeouf. go back and watch it again. Yeah. No, I I I like. I'm a Shia LaBeouf fan, like legitimately. I think mm -hmm. he's a great actor, um, but he's also someone I think has been wrecked with a lot of personal problems. That the, the publicity, unfortunately, overrides the talent in a lot of cases. <laughs> he, he, Shia but, needed a better manager. Let's put it down. He needed, <laughs> maybe. Well, if you watch, uh, if you watch, I think it was called uh, Honey Boy, which came out a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that will give you some insight as to what happened. Like, mm -hmm. like his dad was his manager and his dad was all kinds of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we've mentioned this cast and I keep teasing about the supporting cast, but I mean, you have in here, you've got John C. McGinley in here as, as Todd, you know, as uh, uh, Bud Fox's buddy in, in the trenches. I love him. He's great. He's a great, you know, he's one of those where you always go, Hal Holbrook shows up in here. You know, I mean, it just, there's so many actors where you're like, oh, that guy, oh, that guy <laughs> in this, in like small roles, you know? Yeah, James James Karen, like James Karen, James yeah. Karen and Hal Holbrook working in an office together at like, the, they're almost around the same age, you get the sense. Yeah. But they're at two very different points in their careers. Like I could watch just a movie about this little like corner trading firm <laughs> so good yeah, and, and like you mentioned james spader showing up and you're just like wait and he's not in like a weird kinky bizarre role he's just he's played it as a straight lawyer what <laughs> i mean yeah like if you told me back in 1986 like there's uh, oliver stone movie coming out called wall street and james spader's in i'm like oh he's playing the yuppie douchebag day trader guy but no he's <laughs> no. playing one of the few honest semi-honest but persuadable men in this picture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I remember this being the big picture that they that 
that was they promoted this a lot and you can see why um they had a budget behind it but again dealing with the stock market how do you make it interesting but they make it interesting you know in in, in an interest in, in a different way they the, oliver stone manages to give you drama uh that feels a bit realistic which i think helps with this film you know no one is too no one is too character like caricatures at all no. in this film um they they all feel like people <laughs> if that sounds weird they're not like blown up like beyond like overacting or exaggerated at all in this right and i think to that point um it is this definitely movie you have to pay attention to and you have to like mm-hmm. jump into the stream and follow it all the way to the end you can't drift off or you know let your mind water wander mm-hmm. because they don't there's no hand holding as to like here's how the stock market works here's what you know shorting and and trading and and undercutting all that stuff here's what this scene means here's what this deal means you just have to kind of infer it and like you said at the beginning of it you know at the end of wall street i understood what had happened i didn't necessarily know how it all happened right down to like the minute details but i got an idea there was a movie that came out um like seven eight years ago now called the big short yeah i watched I that yeah that. okay mm-hmm. that was another excellent movie kind of about the same thing except you know 20 years later but they did these like nice funny interstitials like margot robbie in a bathtub like a bubble bath explaining what shorting stocks yeah. means <laughs> uh, as a way to like get the audience on the same page uh but in Wall Street, it's very realistic to the point where, like, even the old man mechanic guy, he mm-hmm. understands how all this stuff works and he understands not to get involved with it. Um, but at no point is he sitting there giving this big, long expository thing about how, you know, how or why what Bud is doing is wrong. He's just like, I think you're making a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just interesting how this film comes together and. It wasn't really in my wheelhouse when it came out, fully admit. And like I said, when I watched it a few years after it came out on on rental or whatnot, didn't quite get it. Now watching this, I loved this film. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you got to be an adult to watch this. <laughs> you unless, do. unless you are Alex P. Keaton and you're a right, teenage yeah. you know, Republican stock genius. Um, but but yeah, I think and as, as you mentioned, it's. I can't say that it's timeless because I don't know if they had this these problems back in the 60s or if we'll still have these problems in 2050. But for right now, it's a movie that you can watch. And aside from like <clears throat> Michael Douglas is on the beach and he's having a, he's using his cell phone. It's the giant Zach Morris brick phone. The very right? first time they showed a cell phone on camera on a movie. Really? Supposedly, according to trivia. Yeah, I looked it up earlier. Apparently, it's the first time. Technology actually plays a bit of a role, more so than I expected in this movie. They talk about app, you know, the computer and how it can trace things. And uh, they actually talk a lot about technology in this, far more than I thought they would. Yeah, and, you know, it's nice because, you know, one of the things they do just explain just visually is the, the stock ticker. 
Oh yeah. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. the green stock ticker going by, I'm like, I'm actually able to follow like what's going on and how it mm-hmm. scrolls and you see the prices go up and down. Cause when you're watching this stuff on, on TV, it's really just like a green blur flying by your face. Like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. I felt like, and they probably slowed it down. Oh, yeah. I would imagine yeah. in this case, but I'm like, I, I appreciate that because I can actually kind of tell what's going on. And it's thrilling because you're watching something go down like five points and realize that every one of those points like represents dollars and how many shares mm-hmm. people have. And like you can just imagine people like like Bud Fox, like sweating it when they realize that their entire investment is going down the drain or they're being screwed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's directed enough and uh, to where you, you get excited. You may not completely understand what's going on, but you're still feeling the excitement. And that's that's Oliver Stone being Oliver Stone with his direction in this, you know. Uh, yeah, I just I, this is a fun. This is an interesting movie. It's it's engrossing, it, even though it's dialogue and it's about stocks. It I never got bored with this film. You know, it was and interesting. It's, <laughs> yeah, and it's two hours and six minutes long. I mean. <laughs> And it moves. It moves, it, though. It does move. I mean, it. you go from, you know, A to B to, you know, Z eventually. Mm-hmm. But you feel like you've you've gotten a complete story of these these characters and, and what they're kind of going for. And even the, the side characters feel purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anchored partially by the script and also by the performances. It's just like I look at this and I hate to keep ragging on it, but I look at this and you know, Indiana Jones five, which is <laughs> 24 minutes longer than this mm-hmm. movie. And I feel like much more happens in this, even though it's not as like swashbuckling and there's no car chases or, you know, shootouts or anything, but yeah, I'll watch this 20 times before I watch <laughs> Indy five again. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, <laughs> and if you folks will, Indulge me. I've got the quote that you mentioned about Gecko. And it was when he gives this speech that made me realize that this film, and you mentioned it earlier, Ian, it could apply today. And it tells you the good and bad of the fact of how much has and hasn't changed (laughs) over the years. Here's his speech, folks. The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth, $5 trillion. One third of that comes from hard work. Two thirds comes from inheritance, interest on interest, accumulating to widows and idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. It's bullshit. You got 90% of American public out there with little to no net worth. I create nothing. I own. We make rules, pal. The news, war, peace, famine, upheaval, price per paperclip. We pick that rabbit out of the hat while everybody sits out there wondering how the hell we did it. Now, you're not naive enough to think that we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy? It's the free market, (laughs) and you're part of it. You've got a killer killer instinct. Stick around, pal. I've got a lot to teach you. It's amazing how much of that that dialogue applies to today. Except that that <clears throat> that fifty percent number is way off because right, it's yeah. way way now more. It's as way far more. As the, yeah, and it's not even it's not even the one percent. It's the right. you know the point one percent, and 
to the ultra elites. But I mean, it, um, even back then, though, I mean, it was prevalent and in conversations even back then, <laughs> separation between classes, and it's even more prevalent in the discussions now. So I just found it interesting when he gave the speech. I'm like, it sounds very similar to some of the speeches and stuff you see today being given about <laughs> wealth. Oh, and, yeah. And separation of wealth and such. And yeah. It's like, I think the only. The only thing in this film that made it, it made me smile, and it almost I don't think Wall Street is meant to be satirical, but at the same time, Oliver Stone is having fun and poking a little fun at the situations because at one point we literally get Bud who needs to get I think in. I know what you're saying. Oh, wait, okay, go ahead. Sorry, at one point we get Bud, uh wanting to get information to get in good with gecko he got in there the first time but he needs to get more information but gecko this time didn't give him any leads he had to go find information on his own so he ends up investing in a cleaner service so he could pose as a cleaner worker to get into the offices of his lawyer buddies uh, so he could get the insider information. It's like the small section, but it's the only section that felt like <laughs> it was. It was very much like Mission Impossible type stuff. <clears throat> In fact, I was reminded of Mission Impossible One with Tom Cruise and Emilio Estevez, mm -hmm. who was playing the guy who I think was kind of doing almost the same thing and got crushed in the elevator. Um, yeah, the one bit where i rolled my eyes and almost threw up my mouth was <laughs> is later in the film bud fox has the world at his feet but he goes out onto the balcony like it's nighttime like pre-dawn yeah and he just sits there and just goes who am i i'm like <laughs> oh my god no i did i did too i'm like <laughs> especially everything that happened up until that point in the film we're like now you do this self-reflection <laughs> I, I, I like i like not the never mind the what is uh, unscrupulous thing you did which was follow terrence stamps character all around larry wildman as he's called and and basically pull you know you, you know screw him over through gecko and then you do this other thing where you literally invested a truck company just so you could sneak in and get information from your best your, your college buddies lawyer you know offices because back then a lot more stuff in file cabinets than on computer that didn't bother him no later on in the film is like oh who am i after he finally uh consummates his relationship with daryl hannah's darian uh then he's out on the balcony going ah yeah, and I'm just like, now, now is the self-reflection. <laughs> you know, and, and Darian's like, come back to bed. And he's just like, oh, who am I? And I'm like, what the, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's partially that, but it's partially just the delivery. Like that, yeah. Tom Cruise could pull that line off. Yes, yes. Charlie Sheen, it just sounds like an Eternity for Men commercial. Like, just, no, <laughs> that doesn't work. It sounded like Calvin Klein. It was like a Calvin Klein commercial. It's like, yeah. you, you Make it black and white and have the same scene where Bud Fox is in his boxers and he's on the balcony and you make it black and white. And you kind of do these kind of creative angles and then you just have him stare out and he goes, who am I? And then you go, Calvin Klein for men. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, Tiger's Blood by Calvin Tiger's Klein. 
<laughs> you know, there was a place, there was an ice cream shop downtown in, in Point here who they sold a shake called Tiger's Blood Shake. <laughs> no, it's it's legitimate flavor. Um, there's like a, a snow cone icy mm-hmm. vendor around town. And I've seen a few yeah. of them that they have a Tiger's Blood like icy. It's very good. It is. It was very good. I got the shake. I'm like, oh, this, this is actually pretty good for, for a Tiger's Blood Shake. No offense to Tiger Power out there, Tony. We love you. Uh, not at all. No, this is Mr. Charlie Sheen's Tiger Blood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, this is this is all the right elements in it. And for as much as, you know, it it didn't probably quite get the accolades it they were hoping for, it still got a lot, but just I don't think I don't remember quite as much as like what they were maybe hoping with this film, because this has all the writings of here you go, run the Oscars. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Cause it was, um, it yeah, went. it did. It did very, it did well. Cause like I'm looking at it, it had, if you can believe this is $87, uh, $15 million budget gross for worldwide. And mm-hmm. by worldwide, it only says us and Canada. So I guess back then they didn't <laughs> like, this didn't play in Japan. <laughs> But it made like 40, almost $44 million. Sure. And it became a pop cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. because I remember Greed is Good was everywhere for like a oh, yeah. decade plus later. I had never seen Wall Street, and yet I knew that clip, yep. Greed, for lack of a better term, is good. good. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, but I mean, as far as awards go, you would think with this cast, with this crew, with this, the the subject matter, with this director... Oh yeah, Academy. It got one Academy Award nomination, but it also won in that category, and that was Best Actor in a Leading Role, Michael Douglas. But that was the only nomination for Wall Street that year, which is wow. with, like I said, all the elements we've mentioned tonight. You would be like, what? Also, it got nominated for a Razzie, namely Daryl Hannah's performance got a Razzie. Uh, uh, nomination. So yeah, that I don't know about all that. That's not right. No, no. I think I, I don't mean, think she it was, was. She wasn't great, but it wasn't Razzie. No, anymore. no, it wasn't Razzie. It was that's the Razzies. You know, they're they are what they are. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking up the the 87 Oscars and like what was you know going on back then. Um, interesting. Oh, I guess I should look up the 88 Oscars because it's for the year before. Because I'm looking at here. Uh. For cinematography, Robert Richardson for Platoon. That was the year before. Yeah. Robert Richardson also shot Wall Street. So yes, yeah, they're, just, they're well, just like working together for you know probably three years straight. These guys. Well, '88 was there was some competition. You had uh, for the best actor leading role, Michael Douglas won. Tells you his performance in this. Uh, Jack Nicholson for Ironweed was up for nomination. Robin Williams for Good Morning Vietnam which had come out William Hurt for broadcast news, which a lot of people thought he was going to be a shoe in for that. When that came out, I remember that. And then, uh, Marcello Mastroini, Mastroi, Marcello Mastroianni. Yeah. Mastroianni. Mm-hmm. Thank you for dark eyes. Uh, and so that was, that was the competition. That was the savior. Sean Connery won for the untouchables. <laughs> the sympathy which, vote, which, 
had a Canon connection. Canon connection. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Street Smart, was in. <laughs> he was in the Untouchables. No, no, street, he was in the movie Street Smart, but he was up for Academy Award. Oh, okay. The the, the Reeves, Christopher Reeves, Street Smart yeah. movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was up for. Uh, and oh yeah, Moonstruck was out. So uh, yeah, and broadcast news again. And then Cry Freedom with Denzel Washington was nominated that year, but didn't win. Sean Connery won for The Untouchables, which actually out of that category, that is a surprise because no offense to anyone. I will, I haven't revisited The Untouchables, but eh. <laughs> but this is the competition that was up for Wall Street that that year. So that's why I'm kind of reading these off because it's very interesting. Uh, best Actress leading role, you had Cher for Moonstruck. Holly Hunter for Broadcast News, Sally Kirkland for Anna, uh, Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction, and Meryl Streep for Ironweed. Dude, and yeah, Fatal Attraction. That was another Michael Douglas. That was, that was a big Michael year for Douglas, him. Yeah. You know, this is a whole other conversation, but I'm just like thinking back to the good old days when the Academy Award pictures were mostly made up of popular films that people had actually seen and did really well at the box <laughs> office. Rather than like, oh, it's Nomadland, which played in five theaters and no yes. one has seen. And there's, yeah. you know, Francis McDormand howling like a wolf. 87 was definitely an interesting year for films because you had The Last Emperor come out in 87, which uh, uh, Bernardo Bertrolli, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, I can't pronounce anything. I can't pronounce my own last name. He, anyway, he won for Best Director for uh the last emperor and uh yeah i mean that was an interesting year though but just looking at the variety of films you have was is always interesting and ramsey actually got nominated for throw mama from the train there you go who would have thought right throw mama from the train actually handed an academy award nomination and that was ann ramsey's uh uh nomination there I was trying to see what was best picture. I think Last Emperor won best picture, yeah, that year, because that was Moonstruck, Fatal Attraction, Broadcast News, and Last Emperor. And in true Oscar Oscar fashion, you had the one film that nobody saw, that it was out in like limited theaters, Hope and Glory, whatever that movie was that did not get a, a huge oh. release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. Tra- I don't know if I've actually seen that one. Yeah, that that was the last. That was a Bill, a young boy living on the outskirts of London, experiences the exhilaration of World War II. During this period, Bill learns about sex, death, love, hypocrisy, and the faults of adults as he prowls the ruins of bombed houses. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, because I was. It's, it's weird because that's the same year that Spielberg's Empire of the Sun came out with uh, with Christian Bale, mm-hmm. and that's kind of. Like it's not exactly the same plot, but it's it's right in that same wheelhouse. But it, it that didn't get too many nominations either. So interesting year eighty seven when Wall Street came out. Uh, Robocop. Yeah, now you're talking. That should have got an Academy Award. Damn it! Nightmare on Elm but, Street three, Dream Warriors. 
That should have got Best Song Nomination Academy. Dream Warriors fucking Dokken, man. Oh, can you imagine Dokken at the Academy Awards performing Dream Warriors? That would be beautiful. That would have been beautiful, man. Dokken playing at the Academy Awards Dream Warriors. Yeah. You had the scene with Freddy in the tux uh, in the suit in Dream Warriors. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's right there, folks. It's it's literally right there. (laughs) Roach Motel the whole night. Yeah, anyway. That was Rob. that was Dream Master. Oh, that, that was, was the Dream next, Master. That was that's the next right. year. That was Dream Master. That's right. I Shame always, on you. I they blend together, those two. Oh, I oh yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Fighting words. So. Yeah, it was fighting words. Anyway, it's late and my brain is my brain is always broken. But Wall Street, folks. <laughs> uh your final thought, Ian, with Wall Street. A great movie. Um, you know. There's so many reasons to watch it and to love it that we've talked about here. But if you've never seen it, you're like, ah, it's a movie about money. It's from the 80s. Check it out. It's, uh, I dare say, if you're disappointed, then I'm disappointed in you. (laughs) If you like Oliver Stone, if you like anybody who shows up in this film, I would recommend watch it. it. Even though it's two hours, it is a breezy two hours. You've got to pay attention. You may not. Come on the other end, following completely what stocks are about, but you'll be entertained because it is. And little spoiler there, our lead character doesn't exactly have a happy ending. So I, and I liked that. I, there was still a consequence, even after he does a specific thing, there's still a consequence for his actions. And I liked that. I liked that element because you think maybe everything's going to be all hunky dory and then you come to find out yeah no uh- <laughs> well and there's something that that we didn't talk about that um i know we're wrapping up here but you know it's almost speaks to the character of when i say the character like the quality of the way that bud was raised by his dad right that when he goes down he you know he's upset about it but he takes it like a man mm-hmm. like there's no like no this is outrageous and i never did this and da, da, da. no he just goes away in cuffs um to, because i think he realizes that you know what did his dad had been telling him all along was like if these are dangerous yeah <laughs> people in this big game you're playing gotta be very careful because you might get you know you might get taken down and he's just like yeah i'm uh bye (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there's still consequences to his actions which was which was kind of nice to see in this so yeah there you have it folks wall street our first stock it up film so hope uh you enjoyed this conversation uh this is a lot of fun to revisit this again stock market films but i i I tried to pick some interesting ones and i think we've got some interesting ones on deck. Uh, But now, as always, what's even more interesting is this is the time where I give my guests the license to shill. So, Ian, the floor is yours. The trading floor? The trading floor, yeah. You got four minutes. I heard the bell. Yeah, yeah, no, there was the bell. So you got uh, 30 seconds before your stocks drop. So Sell, sell, sell. No. Um, Um, my name is Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which if you're uh, on the New York Stock Exchange is under KTS. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> uh, I, you can find me at kickseat.com. Mostly I'm on YouTube. If you look at YouTube and kicking the seat, you'll find me. I do movie reviews and interviews and, and, and live round tables. And I'll be doing one this Thursday, possibly with Mark, but with a, a number of other critics as well. Uh, talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And if you've made it this far into the stream, you'll know that uh, I'm not a big fan. But um, yeah, so join me then. Or if not, maybe just uh, check out the channel, like, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And I'm also here on Mondays, hanging out with Mark, talking about uh, movies that continue to amaze me, like f either things I've never seen before or reevaluating movies that I was like, eh. and sometimes I'm like, or, but in this case, I'm like, Wee! <laughs> well put, well put. And, and Dial of Destiny is one where, once again, much like a certain movie called Vacation, uh, we may be on opposite ends of the spectrum. So, should be an interesting conversation, but still friendly. And I, I and to be right twice. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there it is. Zing. There it is. Oh, God. I love that. And oh, we do get one comment from Talix who chimed in. Thank you for chiming in and, and joining us here, Talix, near the end. He goes, My favorite trilogy is Wall Street, Wolf, and then The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> That's a true. That is, that is indeed an interesting trilogy. I wouldn't mind seeing that. See, we need werewolves. In the stock market, I, I think you're onto something there, Talix. I there you go, right up the script. Wolves on the stock market. There you go, werewolves, and I, I think you got some some good gold right there. The, the werewolf of Wall Street. The werewolf <laughs> of Wall Street. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Things are getting a little hairy down on the floor. Ooh, yeah, yeah you're digging your claws into those stocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This deal has some bite to it. There you go. Mm -hmm. You gotta work in a moon a moon uh, pun there. There you go, Talix. Know. Bear market, nay, wolf market. Oh, yes. Yeah, see, you've got <laughs> got something going there, Talix. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks everybody for listening and are supporting our little sliver of the internet, the podcast, Special Mark Productions for all the stuff. You can check it out there. We got a lot of interesting things. I got a couple interviews that I've been a little late getting posted, but those are going to be up soon. There's going to be some more reviews coming. Uh, and next week, it's going to be a comedy that I thoroughly enjoyed far too young, but now looking at it, it's still entertaining, but there is some problematic stuff in it. Uh, a lot of problematic stuff in it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be looking at Trading Places. So that should be a fun conversation looking at that film through 2023 lens. Uh, so stay tuned for that next week, folks. 9.30 Central Time here in the Spoiler Room. So until next time, thank you, Talix. Thank you, everybody who tuned in live. Thank you to all you folks who continue to listen. Please spread the word about us. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And yeah, until next time, we'll just say good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Buy, sell, hold, stock. 18 points. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
Hey everyone, looking for more Spoiler Room goodness? Then head on over to patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to even more wonderful podcast content. Hear the conversation that happens before the live broadcast. You can also get access to an exclusive VIP episode that you vote on that's especially for you, or get early access to all our videos on YouTube, plus more. So check it out there, folks. And the more you do there, the more we can do here. And remember, with the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.